The following podcast is brought to you by Astro Panda Productions. For more information or to find other great shows, visit astropandaproductions.com or visit the Astro Panda Productions page on blogtalkradio.com. Thanks for coming back. Uh, we're going to do a quick intro to our guest here, Throw Door Commercial, and bring him in to meet you. But we were talking to actor, uh, writer, and director, I assume, also, Sam? Uh, yep, yeah, yeah, Bit of producing as well. Yeah. Actor, writer, producer, and uh, Englishman by the sound of it, Sam Benjamin. So listen to this word from our sponsor. We'll bring him on and get to know him. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there. Sam Benjamin, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing quite well. It must be, uh, let's see here, probably about 10.30 your time now. So. Yep, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, into the night. Yeah, thank you for uh, hanging out and, and doing this, even though it is well into the evening. Oh, no, my pleasure, my pleasure. Yeah. So, Sam, you and I were kind of brought into each other's orbit by Adria Walden, creator of Black Girl in a Big Dress. How do you know Adria? Oh, did I lose you? Sorry, you cut out a little bit there. Oh, okay, no problem, because you, you did the same. Okay, there yeah. we go. All right, so Sam, you and I met through Adria Walden, uh, creator of Black Girl in Big Dress. How do you two know each other? We met at the London Screenwriters Festival a couple years back, um, and we just bumped into each other. It was kind of one of those where you're in the room and everyone else felt like they were just getting on with it, so we kind of gravitated towards each other. We really hit it off. Um and yeah, and then since then, I when I was out in LA um, last time, um, uh, yeah, I caught up with her then, and we yeah, we just uh, we've got a writing project that we're working on together, and yeah, we just really hit it off. She's a and she's a talent as well. Yeah, she's kind of a, a multi-talent. It seems to me every time I talk to her. Oh yeah, big time, big time. Yeah, even though I know her, I was listening to the episode with her on it, and I was still like fanboying out. Yeah. I, I love that series she did. Um, so we'll dig into your history a little bit as an actor here, but before we do that, what was it that attracted you to acting in the first place? What a question. Um, we're going deep. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, I guess, um, there's a multitude of things. I was a very shy kid, and I... Up until I was 11, I was an only child, and for the majority of those years, I lived with just my mother in various places. One of my vivid memories was she had a flat above a chemist on this row of shops. Um, So I had a lot of, I was a shy kid, I had a lot of alone time. My mum and dad divorced when I was quite young, which I think knocked my confidence. Um, So my escape was in films, cartoons, and action figures. Um, you know, I used to drive my mum mad doing the voices and creating all these stories with whether it be the Batman, the He-Man, Thundercats, um, or the wrestlers. So I guess that's where it kind of came from. And that, that kind of cliche, but that concept of stepping into someone else's shoes meant that I didn't have to be myself. Um, and you know, in someone else's shoes, I could be whoever I wanted to be. I could be confident. I could do all that. Um, so yeah. And literally from being a kid when you're in school and the teacher says, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's always been actor. So, um, my other vivid memory was there's two movies that I always go back to as quite defining. And first one was, uh, when I watched on video, Tim Burton's Batman, Mm -hmm. 1989, there's something about Keaton's Bruce Wayne, the loneliness, and the the that kind of but then when he wears the suit he can you know he can go out there and he can you know fight for justice and do the right thing um, and something about the mood of that and the performances and oh it was just yeah beautiful and the other one was I, I can still remember as a little kid coming out of the first Mission Impossible film and just thinking wow like on a total high I want to do that and I want to give people that high. 
Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that was, uh, so yeah, it's always been since then, really, since then. And then I went through a bit of a, without going too much into it, I don't know how it works in, you know, imagine it's different in different areas in the US, but um, by the time I got to a 16, um, suddenly all the career advisors, or I think you call them guidance counselors, had kind of beaten it out of me. So I ha had a bit of a crisis when I was about 16 and just realized that I'd already been taken on this different path. And then I had to like rebel against it and rediscover it. And then, yeah, just plowed on 100% all guns blazing and haven't looked back since, really. Okay. So they, um, the schools uh, do kill your dreams in the UK like they do in yeah. the US as well. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, big time. It's like, uh, what, you want to do what? Oh, yeah. Um, no, you want to, I mean, look at the percentage success rate there. What you want to do is you want to do, you know, do a job with loads of opportunity, be a trading standards officer or, you know, do this, that. So, yeah, it's, I'm sure a lot of people relate to that. You know, you got to fight for those to keep hold of the that, that instinct that says, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm doing what I want to do or I'm at least going to pursue it. Oh, yeah, I understand that completely. I am. Um... <clears throat> I'm going through a crisis of career right now myself where I'm actually thinking about trying to land gigs doing voiceovers. So that's kind of Ooh. where I'm focusing right at the moment. Well, I have to say you have one hell of a voice. Well, thank so. you. You know, yours ain't too shabby either there, mister. <laughs> thank you. But I'm, I'm doing that, but, you know, I'm looking around. I'll be 45 in nine days, and I'm like, you know, this is a hell of a time to finally decide, you know what, maybe it's time I risk risk everything on trying to see if I'm worth a damn doing something that I seem to be pretty good at, you know? No better time than now. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, if I wait 10 years, who knows what will happen. Yeah. 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 Be, I can see it. I can see it. It's going it'll, to, it'll happen. Yeah. So I got to ask you then, since, you know, you grew up with your, I, I assume, single mother and no siblings? Uh, no. Well, it's one of those modern families, no siblings until I was 11. Then okay. my mom re then my mom remarried, and then uh, she had a son um, with another guy. Um, so I had a half brother from when I was 11, but he grew up in where I grew up, so it kind of he feels like a brother. Um, and then my dad um, then had two other kids with another woman, and I kind of saw my dad like once a week, every two weeks. Um, I kind of had an up and down, as many people do with my dad. Um, you know, we, we, there was always love there, but you know, there's a lot of turbulence um and then yeah he had two daughters and because i didn't see him as often i didn't see them as often so um but yeah i've got two half sisters as well okay how did your parents feel about you pursuing acting as a career it was a combination of i think i was in a way in a way i was lucky that my mum and dad never really had a lot of money because they unlike some other people who knew who had quite well-off parents they felt like they had to listen to their parents more mm -hmm. <laughs> in terms of career. Whereas, you know, my mum and dad mostly were of the position of, we would rather you from experience do a job that has, that makes the most money and has the most security, but Hey, do what you got to do, what you got to do, find, find what you, but they did think I was mental for a bit. They really did think I was crazy. Um, so it did take a while. It was actually my grandmother, my nan, um, who was like the main person who always saw what I saw. Um, so she was like the, from the get go, she was just on, on board on team, on team Sam Benjamin. And then the rest of the family kind of followed after years of me basically just doggedly carrying on and them going, Oh, I guess he's doing this then. <laughs> well, no, it's, you showed them so to speak. And at least your grandma was, you know, had your back on it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 big time, big time. Yeah, she's a big inspiration for me. Yeah. Yeah. So when you when you decided to make the plunge and go into acting, what was the yeah. first what was the first thing that oh, happened? Well, what was? Did uh, I say that again? Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Well, we got a bit of a shit connection today. Um, we have. We. Yeah. Well, let's try that again. <laughs> so <laughs> when, you, when you decided to go into acting, what what was the thing that happened where you said, okay, yeah, now now I get it, now I've got it, now I'm headed in the right direction. I good question. I so I went to a very traditional uh, high school um, that didn't do drama. I always did acting outside of school at a drama club, like a theatre group. Um, so what I did was I thought, right, if I'm going to go to university, and no one in my immediate family had gone to university, so I thought, right, I should go because I I can and. 
I might as well do a subject that I'm good at and a, and a quote unquote proper subject. <laughs> so I did history. Um, but when I went to the, uh, the uni I went to, I had this hidden agenda because I knew they had a really good film and theatre department. So I figured I'm going to do the degree, but I'm going to spend every waking hour in that department. And just basically I'm going to be in every play that I can, every short film that I can, every student project, all of that stuff, and just soak it up and, and figure out if I can do it. And I think one of the turning points was I got cast in a play called Angels in America uh, based on the play, which was made as an HBO series with Al Pacino a little while back. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got cast in that. And then just so happened, the director was a bit of a genius. And I then got handpicked to do this thing called the National Student Drama Festival. And they pick like, I don't know, something like 50 or so actors that they've seen throughout the year. And then they audition for them. And then they pick, I think it was 12. And then I got into that final 12. And then I did a tr- uh, like a summer training with amazing people, including Patrick Stewart. Oh, wow. And yeah, and that was so when I got picked as one of the twelve, and then Patrick Stewart, you know, was teaching me Shakespeare. <laughs> that, that I think it was one. That was a big moment of like, a, I definitely want to do this. B, maybe, maybe I'm actually good. <laughs> and then, and then C, like it's it is doable. It is doable. Um, so that I think that was the turning point. And from that point on, I was like, right, that that's it. I'm doing it. That's it. It's just, it's clear. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your more recent career because you you do have one acting credit here where you worked on a show that I'd just mess my pants if the opportunity to even meet <laughs> Peter Capaldi ever came up. <laughs> the first question, did you, I mean, I, I can't remember if you're on screen with him in that episode or not. I don't. No, I, believe it or not, I, I didn't meet him. Didn't even meet him. Because, see, I just, oh. be, I'd be falling around every day trying to get him to cuss like he used to on that political show he was on. I'd oh, like, yeah, the thick of it. Yeah, I was just like, use the C word, use the C word, come on. Yeah, yeah, That's what yeah, we yeah. want to hear. Yeah, he's great, he's great. No, I never I never got to meet him. Um, he was, all of my scenes didn't have, he was pretty much the only principal cast member that wasn't in the stuff that I was doing. So, um, yeah, just one of those weird quirks of yeah. the industry when you realize, oh, hang on a minute, they, they were in the same show, but they didn't, they didn't meet. Yeah, well, that's okay. You met Patrick Stewart, and so that's... You that know, is true. That's yeah, like yeah, three yeah. Peter Capaldi, so, you know. Well, I'm sure Peter Capaldi would be shouting something at you right now for that I, See, that that's what I would want. That's what I would want. <laughs> yeah, you're provoking him. <laughs> I don't know that he listens, but I'm going to shoot for it. I'm, I'm hoping to get yeah, at least... Yeah, do it, do it. Yeah, at least a nasty voicemail. That's really what I'm going for here. So did you grow up a fan of Doctor Who? Because you really kind of grew up during the period where there wasn't anything but old episodes, right? Well, there you go. You've answered the question. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, my little brother uh, did. He he started. He loved um, he loved Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant's Doctor Who a lot. Um, so he would watch them. I kind of dipped in and and would catch it if he was had it on on the main TV. But um, yeah, I, I never. I I mean, I, I grew up more as a superhero action guy. Um, you know, I was more into the, you know, I was watching action movies with, with my dad on a, on a Saturday when I went to see him, the diehards, you know, <clears throat> that kind of thing. And then meanwhile, um, you know, reading comics and watching the superhero stuff or, you know, Batman, the animated series was my number one thing when I was, when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. that was, that was, that was, that just, just blew, it still blows my mind. That was, uh, yeah, an unbelievable, that was my like main show. And then, uh, yeah, Doctor Who, I get, you're right, it's the time, and it kind of just passed me by. I did have a couple of mates who were into it, but they obviously watched all the old episodes. Yeah, and see, I grew up, you know, I was a big Star Trek fan as a kid, and ah, yes. we, we had Doctor Who here in the States on PBS. I mean, it was a few years old by the time we'd get it. Yeah, and I had a handful of friends that were really into it. And me as a Star Trek nerd, I'd sit there and look at them and be like, "You guys are a bunch of nerds! Holy cow!" <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, see that. now older and you know going back and watching some of it from a different position in my life, yeah, there there are things to enjoy there. But man, some of that early BBC stuff, um, not not a lot of money in the budget. Nope, not yeah. a lot of money in the budget. Um, yeah, it's definitely. Um, but that is what, uh, it's part of its charm, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm going through a kick right now. I lost my job about seven weeks ago, and I'm going through a kick where I'm watching everything on Amazon that looks like it was shot with a handheld camera from Best Buy. Oh, I, I remember you. I heard you saying that you, um, yeah, you're you're what you're watching horror films, and the yes. more it looks like it's shot on a VHS camcorder, the more you like it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely, I think, I think, you know, as somebody who hasn't made a movie, but as somebody who has definitely done artistic things with no budget, and you you get forced to become creative and more artistic the smaller the budget you have. Oh, big time, big yeah. time. Uh, yeah, sometimes limitations are the liberation. Yeah. Art thrives on limitation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, something you did do. You have a series called The Few that season one's done. You're getting ready for season two now. Tell us a little yeah. bit about what The Few is about. So The Few is set in London. It's a gritty sci-fi series that asks the question, what if? three working-class Londoners acquired superpowers. So that is the... We released it uh, 2017. Um, yeah, it was created by myself and a guy called Sam Bradford. And, yeah, it was very much an indie project that we made by gathering talented people that we knew and being very clever with what we knew we could do, what we knew we couldn't do, and, you know, what budget we did have. Um, yeah, and it was, we we had a blast making it, and it's 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 done really well. It's won loads of awards, and we get loads of people saying, "When's the second series coming out?" Yeah, so, yeah. I think you guys did it good. I watched it today. Now I didn't give it as thorough a watching as I probably should have, but I can tell you your cinematography and it's pretty solid. Oh yeah, thank you. Well, yeah, that's um, I'm blessed to be working with you know Sam Bradford, the director and co-creator. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a visionary, especially with knowing what to do with you know not much time and not that much money. Um, and yeah, all of his crew, uh, a company called Praxima, they're they're really fantastic. And yeah, we as I said, um, I did a podcast earlier today, and it was for this one and. You know, the main feedback we had that was negative, which I actually agree with, was mm -hmm. that, that the episodes are too short. And I, I was like, yep. And uh, if we could have made it longer, we could, we would have. Um, so, but that's that's what we're so with the second series. We're answering that and we're, we're challenging ourselves and we're, we're doing six, 10 minute episodes this time, um, which will obviously take more time and money. But, uh, you know, I figure if you're going to do the second series, the second album, you've got to do it bigger and better. So. Well, you yeah. gotta, you're starting from a pretty solid foundation, I would say. And yeah, if I were going to be critical, I'm, every time the, your your intro played on another episode, I'm like, this is like half your runtime, guys. What, what, exactly, what is going exactly. on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we learned that lesson. We learned that lesson very quick, and then that's why because we released a like a complete cut as well, which just cuts those out as well. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we've listened, and we're gonna. The second one is gonna be way more meaty. Yeah, no, that's solid. Um, I, I'm sure you know about the series The Guild, right? The Guild. Yeah, is it? Maybe I'm getting the name wrong. It was a uh, Felicia, Felicia Day, where it's about. Oh, it's about them, and they're they're playing like an online fantasy MMORPG. The and, Guild. No, I've never I've never seen it. Oh, okay. So, anyways, it it very short episodes. With yeah. very loud intro music, and my wife watched them all over the course of a weekend. And I told her, if, like, <laughs> if I hear that song one more time. <laughs> I'm getting a hammer and, and stuff's getting wrecked around the house. That's what's going to oh, happen. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, We'll have to be careful about that one then. Yeah. But, you know, I, I get grumpy sometimes too. You know, what are you going to say? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, watch what she wants to watch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I, I got to ask you have a character in the few called the Rogue Detective. Yeah. Who reminds me a little bit of more like a, um, a pulp era character. Ooh. And it made me think of like the shadow or green Hornet oh. or something like that. Right. I, I love that you thought that because, um, the shadow is a character that I think is just gorgeous. And, um, I think, I don't know how, how nobody has made anything of the shadow recently, but I guess there's still that. Um, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the Alec Baldwin movie, the shadow, mm -hmm. um, 
I, I just I, I and I <laughs> actually I might watch it this week. Um, I just really love the mood of it and the style of it and something about it was it was quite kitschy, I guess. But um, there's something about that visual of the shadow and his. I don't know whether like I think the laugh. I think I subconsciously was influenced by that in terms of the rogue detective character of that you know that dark character that laughs when the you know the bad guys are turning up and um, obviously the shadow uses guns as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love that that kind of yeah you're right that probably and I did actually listen because um, I wrote a uh, I wrote a couple of short radio plays um, for a. Uh, a sound engineer who was just making a, a project for one of his, one of the, one of these like courses he was doing. And he just, he asked me if I wanted to write some radio plays that were like sci-fi. And uh, I went back and listened to the old shadow radio show. Oh yeah. The Orson Welles one. Oh, I mean so much mood and, and, and like drama in those. It's very theatrical, obviously with that classic, like, meanwhile, you know, that kind of Lamont yeah. creds and all that, which I love, which I love. But yeah, but thank you for that. I'm glad that you, you got a little, little pulpy nod from that. Oh yeah. And I didn't know if it was intentional, but it was definitely, I was definitely thinking of characters like that, uh, which, which are big influences just on certain outlooks and things I have. Like I have a Lone Ranger tattoo you know oh i love it yeah and uh well yeah you know you were talking earlier about you know your parents did split up and i've always said all my tattoos basically just say ask me about my parents divorce if you scratch at them you know? <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so you were the lone ranger were you um well you know what it was is when my dad passed away and i've got a photograph of my dad with clayton moore and yeah. and um when my dad passed away a buddy of mine who runs a tattoo parlor uh, here in you know Modesto, California, did a Friday the Thirteenth sixty dollar tattoo day, and wow. I, I went and I flipped through the book and there and there was just there was a Lone Ranger tattoo in it and I was like, well, there we go, you know, it's it almost if I believed in such things, I would say it was almost, uh, what do you call that? Serendipitous. Serendipitous. That was exactly the word I was looking for. So I got it done with you know my dad's birth year and death year underneath it. And, oh, that's um, beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, the Lone Ranger was the Green Hornet's great uncle. So I've always loved that there was this kind of dynastic quality to those two characters that rarely gets referenced because they're actually owned, they're always owned by a different company, so they can't reference that anymore. But wow. I, I always love those things. Matter of fact, on my other podcast that I do with Bobby Blaze, I recently pretended to uh, have a fight with uh, Canada. And had to go had to go into hiding, and so the Silver Scorpion, my take on the Green Hornet, was the co-host that week. Amazing, yeah, it's amazing. Um, oh, that's pretty. Well, yeah, it's funny actually because my, it's it is funny how that role of the the dad's influence on on us because my my dad passed away literally uh, this December, just gone, and. Um, it's funny how it's made me realize how much he, even though sometimes I refuse to admit he influenced me, mm-hmm. <laughs> he actually, and you know, it's just the little things like he always used to have down the side of his toilet, he'd always have like a Judge Dread, a Wolverine. Oh, that's cool. And, and, uh, and like a Batman. And he just as a kid, it's one of my earliest memories of being in his flat and seeing, you know, and so. You know that kind of whenever Judge Dread, for example, is like I just associate that with him, and um, yeah, it's just funny the way those archetypes and those characters just embody things, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, there there are things that you know different points of my life I've just kind of we'll use Captain Kirk as one, but like you just ask yourself when a situation comes up and you have to be decisive. You're like, okay, what would Captain Kirk do in this situation? Yeah, you know <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that's just one of those things. Like I try to keep in mind, you know, just like if you have a hero and, and it, for a moralistic purpose, I tried to then go, okay, how would they deal with this? You know, what, where, where would their standpoint be? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And that's, you can't underestimate that. Um, yeah. it, it does, you know, the many, it's like, you know, the Batman or <clears throat> whoever's your, your favorite, it often is. You know, it does ground you in a compass, uh, you know, as, as, as you get older as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you get older, too, you have to you realize that every time you, you make a decisive point in your life or, 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 you know, like 
when you make a decision like this is who I am morally and this is the compass I'm going to live by and I'm I I'm old enough now that if I start flipping around and doing things randomly, somebody's going to make me have to admit to the fact that I've done something stupid and completely against where I said stated my morals were before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you're true, yeah, true. when you're a kid you can get away with it. When you're an adult you actually have to be conscious of your decisions. Yeah. Actions. The consequences, yeah. yeah. Um you know, one of the things I did want to talk to you about, Sam, uh, as we get going, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to some of these other topics. So when you and I were first emailing back and forth, turned out you were a pro wrestling fan. Yeah. And um, I was going to ask, because I don't know anything about pro wrestling in the UK. I mean, do you guys have localized promotions there, or are you pretty much like Vince McMahon people? What's what's kind of the state of pro wrestling in the UK? Well, first of all, I'll I'll preface this by saying that I, you know, I am a fan and I'm a, I'm a big believer in, you know, saying that, you know, I'm I'm a fan. I'm not I'm not in the industry, so other people will speak better on it in terms of the UK thing. But my my interpretation of the UK situation is that, and you know, you'll hear, you know, uh, big people like Jim Cornette say the same is that the UK scene is actually thriving. Mm-hmm, that's what I've heard. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's loads of uh, independent promotions. Um, I've been to a couple of uh, Rev Pro, Revolution Pro Wrestling. I've been to a few of them, um, and there's there's lots more promotions that go around the country. You know, Scotland and in the regions in London, up north. Um, so and and you know, as you can tell from the WWE, there's a lot of UK talent that's getting raided and um, getting called up to WWE NXT or um and actually this this saturday just gone uh itv relaunched their show world of sport wrestling which was the old show that got cancelled in the late i think it was the late 80s which was the show that had like all the classic british wrestlers like giant haystacks and big daddy and that was where uh, davy boy smith got his debut and that got cancelled um because the commissioner thought that it was it was too much of a kind of lower working class program, so they kind of killed it. Um, and then since then, and obviously my generation, um, pretty much all we had on TV was American stuff. Mm-hmm. Once the, once that went away, you'd, you'd you'd go to like holiday camps and stuff, and they'd have um, they'd have wrestling there, or you know the odd local thing in in the local gym that be. And often, actually, I went to a few where it was like imitation. It'd be like a guy pretending to be the rock or, you know, whatever it whatever it might be. But, yeah, um, yeah. so I, I grew up on I, – I mean, I was, I was little, but I did grow up at the – you know, my earliest memories was the kind of Monday Night Wars, that kind of era. And that was the era when we – me and, and my dad used to watch it with me. We would literally I, – I was watching WWF and – and then my dad, I remember one, it used to be on, on a Friday over here for some reason. They, they recorded it and put Raw on a Friday. And then my dad one day was like, hey, do you know that there's another wrestling on, on TNT? And I was like, no. And he was like, you got to check it out. There's this guy, Goldberg, and he's just a beast. And um and so my dad was like, oh, we've got to watch this, WCW. So literally we would channel hop and I ended up watching WCW, went through a proper phase of that. And I guess that was like my like golden era as a kid of of that of that wrestling. So it was all American wrestling mainly. Um obviously I was a big British Bulldog fan, I was like one of the few Brits out there. Sure. Um and he was a bit of a hero of mine. But um but yeah, I was a I was a Bret Hart guy all all the way. So I hope you didn't listen to the episode of Bell to Bell uh, with Bobby Blaze where I kinda of shit on Bret Hart then. Oh no, I didn't. No, I didn't. You know, it, it actually wasn't. It actually wasn't that bad. I play up how much, how much it was, but you know, there was a thing with the Shawn Michaels, and they screwed Brett out of the title on his way out the door. Yeah. And, and what I said was, look, um, every American champion loses the title in America, pretty much. Ooh. Brad Hart was not in his hometown. He was just in Canada, which is a vast, vast country. And he was getting kind of jumpy and weird, and they had to get the belt off him because you can't risk him showing up to WCW with your mm-hmm. world title. 
Mm-hmm. And it was a little controversial. It was a little got a little heat oh, on yeah, me. Big time. Yeah, yeah, it's a slight. It's a slight event in the history of wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it got a little heat on me on on that one, but yeah, I mean, yeah. That, obviously, that I don't. The Montreal screw job can be debated till the cows come home. Um, it shouldn't have ended up in that situation, I don't think. Um, in terms of, you know, they should have resolved. They should have resolved it before then, knowing that he was out of contract and all that. Yeah. Um, you know what's done is done, and um, yeah, it was like a focal point. But I, I just remember when around that era. I mean, that year as a kid was when I became a wrestling fan for life because that that storyline, the storyline with Austin and Brett, and also the 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 kind of Heart Foundation versus America, that whole thing. Mike, I was so invested in that. It was I can rem- I can remember when. It was Undertaker versus Bret Hart at SummerSlam '97, and there was a stipulation. Michaels was the special referee, and and if Bret Hart said if he lost, he'd never wrestle in America again. Mm-hmm. And and I'm and I'm going in as a kid thinking, Shawn Michaels hates Bret Hart. There is no way he's going to win. He's never going to wrestle in America again. And then the way I can just remember like cheering massively when Bret. Um, one after Michaels accidentally hit Taker with the chair. I can just remember being so happy. And it was that weird, like, you know, because Bulldog was with him as well. So it was like this Canada UK thing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it was, and then the Canadian Stampede, which I mentioned to you on Twitter when that tag match where the whole crowd was like just this unique scenario where they were booed out of the building every week. But then in Canada, <laughs> they were like, gods i thought that um, was i thought that was creative brilliance I, I i don't know how much they created that situation as lucked into it though you know like mm-hmm. creating creating this rivalry between canada and the united states that doesn't really exist you know and there's, yeah. you know yeah, there's, yeah. there's not a whole lot well kind of is now but didn't exist then and in the situation where in canada these guys are heroes and in the states they're hated all over just a couple sentences said here and there, you know, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was very unique. And, um, I know, well, it, it is funny enough. Cause I, I actually do, I do a podcast, uh, with a friend of mine, uh, called wrestle star podcast. And we, we haven't been as frequent with it as possible as, as we wanted to, cause we're both, we've been, it's been hard to get us together and we like to do it in person. Um, but we, we're going back and we are reviewing, every Starcade pay-per-view. Oh, awesome. From 1983 right up till the, the final one. Um, and we're up to, we've just done Starcade 88. Um, and it's been a real education because <laughs> um, I mainly just watch WrestleMania and then going back, and obviously because the winners always write history. It's oh, really yeah. interesting going back and watching all the Starcades. And it's actually changed my taste as a wrestling fan. It's been really weird. <laughs> um so yeah, it's it's. Um, I'm always because I heard you guys talking about it. Um, was it with Rob, Robbie, um, about how uh, about you know the end of kayfabe and it, it's oh, just yeah. uh, it's actually quite because I, I went to see I went to the Raw and SmackDown recently in the UK in May, and I had a blast. It was great, um, but at the same time, like there was this moment on the on the tube uh, on, on the underground and. This this woman uh, went up to this guy. And everyone was in their wrestling t-shirts, and she and there was a there was a kid about eight years old with with he had the big gold belt round him and he had like a, a Seth Rollins t-shirt on and he was with his mom and this woman who was like an older woman probably about sixty ish just said to this adult guy who had a wrestling t-shirt on she was like oh this wrestling. Oh, that's the fake one, isn't it? <laughs> and I was just like, and I was like, I really wanted to just, it just, it just destroyed my soul because I was looking at this eight-year-old thinking, I mean, is there any magic left for, <laughs> for kids getting into it? I don't know. Um, just that, yeah, that decision to just be like, oh yeah, it's a show. Can we not just keep the magic? But anyway, what's done is done, isn't it? Yeah, like like Jim Cornette's a fan of saying, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I listen to a lot of Jim Cornette. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm watching all the old Starcades has really, really turned me into a a bit of an old school like make it look as legit and combat as you know combat based as possible. Um, but hey, you know, it, it is what it is. There's, there's, I guess there's a flavor for everyone, isn't there, as well now? There's so many different, you know, vibes. and There, There is now, but for a big chunk of the last 18 years, there was only one, and that's part of what I resented. Oh, yeah. 
I you miss know. WCW still. I still yeah. miss it. Well, you um, know, and, and being a little older than you, I miss the old days where, you know, you're flipping through your there's TV. There's even more. Yeah, there was a bunch. And you're flipping through your TV on a Saturday, and you'll see WCCW from Texas, Mid-South from Oklahoma, you know, just all this other stuff. Wow. And, cool. um, you yeah. know, that was all gone by the time you had even discovered, it, you know, what a body slam was. Yeah, wow. Well, I can't even imagine there was a you were spoiled for choice. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was weird because, you know, it was kind of at that point where they couldn't quite hide how fake some of it was anymore. And yeah. I'm thinking, well, neither can faith healers, but people still watch them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But, um, yeah. Oh, here comes my greyhound, Ollie. He must be misbehaving out there, so he's been sent into the studio. He's on the naughty step. Yeah, that means he was outside barking at the cookie jar. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is about um, pro wrestling, because it's funny getting the reaction you get it, within the film and TV industry, because there are a lot of wrestling fans around. But it's one of those things where you you don't really discover whether someone's a wrestling fan unless you accidentally land on something that you both get. <laughs> and it's this really weird, like, you never really, it's not something that you actually ask people. Oh, so do you like wrestling? <laughs> it's like you'll hear a drop line or a reference or something like that. Um, but it, it is interesting because I think you can, I did a podcast with, um, a script consultant. Uh, she does a podcast called on the page. Um, it's a great podcast for screenwriters and filmmakers. And, uh, and we ended up doing a, cause uh, we ended up doing, she ended up working for the WWE. Oh, really? Uh, like just giving a session to their writers. And she found out that I was a wrestling fan as well as a screenwriter. And then she got me on. And we we broke down uh, a few wrestling storylines, and you can I I've learned so much about good storytelling from pro wrestling. Yeah, um, that's one of the things I always I know we're kind of digging in hard, but I think we found an area where you and I can really gel and talk about something. Here, <laughs> so I don't see the point in disrupting it just yet. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things about like old school wrestling, and I don't watch a lot of the current product. I mean, not to sound like a grumpy old man, but just a lot of it doesn't yeah. apply. Cynical, to you're cynical. Yeah, <laughs> and, and see, I try to not be, and that's why I just leave it alone. You know, um, storytelling. And I mean, large and small in pro wrestling. So you have your overarching storylines of whoever your main, you know, hero and villain is. But even in just getting the ring, there's storytelling in the old school there, you know. Bad guy works the good guy's leg. And, you know, they're going and he's getting him in a figure four and almost winning. The good guy's getting out. And then just barely lands a finisher and gets the pin. The good guy wins, but the bad guy can say, okay, so I beat your ass for 18 out of 20 minutes. You hit me with yeah. one move. Who really won? Good guy's at home in a wheelchair right now because I broke his leg, but you guys gave him the win. You know? Yeah. yeah. Just so many awesome things can be done in a story. I mean, just the pin counts have so much oh. dramatic tension, you know? Oh, but, and, and yeah, pin counts, submissions, and. Um, it's like what, I, and one of the things the thing they're missing a trick at the moment is that, and we discovered it. We just watched Starcade '88 um, on on our podcast, and um, every single match they said it, they said the stipulation and the time limit. Yes. And every single match, the match is going on. You're into it, and then you hear the announcer: five minutes gone, fifteen minutes remaining. And it did this every match. And it just added an extra ticking time bomb yeah. as well as, and it's another rule. I think Jim Ross says it. It's another, the more rules you have, the more there's room for them to be broken. And it just adds extra elements to it. There was more, they worked more with clever count out, you know, results where you're like, you know, oh, it was just beautiful. And the, the main event was Lex Luger, Ric Flair um, for the, for the world heavyweight title. And um, and kind of the reverse of what you just said, Luger, spoiler alert, go and watch it if you don't want to hear this. Um, <laughs> the whole story of the match was the commentators were building up that Luger knows he was the going in as the baby face. Luger knows that Flair is, is you know, the, the marathon man, the guy that can go for forever. And he's got this cardio. So they were saying about how Lex had, had dropped like seven or eight pounds. So that and and worked on his cardio especially so that he could last with Flair, and then he was pretty much he was going back and forth, back and forth, and then eventually, you know, while the referee was distracted, Flair hit Luger on his knee with a chair, and it was very quick. It was just one shot to the knee, 
and then the match carried on. Luger was still kind of getting the upper hand, and then but Flair was working the leg, working the leg, working the leg, and eventually Luger got the advantage. He got him in the torture rack, and then he like Flair was like looking like he was going to submit, and then Lex's leg gave out, and then Flair landed on top of him, put his feet on the ropes, and pinned him for a quick three, and it was like oh heartbreaking heartbreaking but you know just gorgeous storytelling yeah there's just an element to old school wrestling storytelling that i just loved and obviously yeah. you know i'm sure you picked up i prefer the southern style pro wrestling to what vince mcmahon was doing in new york so you're more of a you'd be more of an nwa kind of guy yeah matter of fact i only own one uh, wrestling replica belt and it's the nwa title and is that the one, the kind of, the, the proper, like, what I call the proper NWA is in the one that was, like, late 70s, uh, the, like, Harley Race? The Harley, the Harley Race belt. It even has the old uh, Red Ensign Canadian flag instead of the Maple Leaf. Whoa. Yeah. Now that, wow. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. amazing. It is the That's only amazing. it is the only replica belt I ever wanted, and it's the only one I ever bought. I love it. I love yeah. it. I had, I had a replica belt. But it was like, at the time, the WWF made replica belts that didn't really look like the belt itself. Yeah, sure. It was like, it was like a weird foam one. Um, but now they're, they're absolutely epic. Oh, yeah. They're, they're ridiculous, the stuff they're coming up with now. Um, that's how that company can make more money than ever, yet have less viewers than they had in 1989. Yeah, there yeah. you go. There you go. Um, you know, Sam, we're going to start running down on time, and I'm, I'm enjoying the hell out of talking wrestling with you. We <laughs> We, we should get to it. Yeah. We we get should really we should really talk about you know your career where people can find you stuff like that. So let's start with if people want to check you out, where are some places they can look for you at? Um, so on Twitter, I'm at Sam Benjamin now. On Instagram, I'm at Sam Benjamin now. That's N O W at the end. Um, and my obviously the few series is YouTube.com/slash the few, um, and then. I've got a short film called Double Cross that's on Amazon Prime. Um, it's an eight-minute crime caper in the vein of, like, Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Eight, but it's about two on-off lovers who are on a job that goes wrong. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. Just type uh, Double Cross Sam Benjamin into Amazon. It'll come up. Give us a watch. You know, um, let us know what you think. Um, it's a tasty little movie. Um, yeah, I'd say they're the main, the main places. Okay, very good. Well, we'll make sure that we uh, we put that in the show notes as well and help people find that easier or right. find all of those easier. Um, so what do you got? I mean, you said you're working on season two of uh, The Few. Yeah. Now, are you releasing that on the web? Is that the plan to continue to do that for now? Yeah, the plan at the moment is we're going to – I'm literally just today I was putting the finishing touches to the script for the second series – um, and then going to get that to the director and producer. We're going to discuss budget, etc. And then we might, because um, because obviously we're going a bit more ambitious with this one. We might do a crowdfunder um, in September, so we have a bit more to play with. And then we'd be looking to film it October, November in an ideal world. Um, but uh, obviously, I'm not. I'll, I'll speak more with uh, with the other guys and find out for sure. But yeah, that's that's the plan at the moment. Then put it on YouTube. At the moment is the plan, just like the first one. Um, although we have been talking to a few outlets, um, so I guess we'll see. We'll see as as we put it out there that it's happening. We'll see what happens. I, I mean, I have had talks with. I've met with a few commissioners. I've met with some BBC people, um, and you know Amazon. Or we spoke to them a bit, obviously, because they're aware of our work. So, yeah, we're kind of open. Obviously, if, if someone like a Netflix or an Amazon wants to talk to us, we'll talk to them. So, but at the same time, I think it's important, you know, just like with Adria's series. I think sometimes you have to go. I always put the priority on the audience. Like, give it, make, just make sure the story's there and. The audience can access it first, and then byproducts will come from it. And if if they want to find you, they find you, rather than waiting too long for one of the big dogs to give you permission to do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a big believer that if you're gonna jump and do something artistic or creative, go do it and get it finished. Don't hang around and wait for it to be yeah. perfect. Get it done because you know you can get always come. Done. Yeah, you can always come back later. And make a better version of it, just like they did uh, El Mariachi and then did Desperado oh, yes. when he had a budget, yes. you know. 
Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, and that's what I think. That's the key to a lot of things is uh, in anything creative is just get to the end. Yeah. Get to the end. Well, there's and lots, then, lots of starters and very few finishers out there. Yeah, what was it? I, I was in a, a room, a lecture room. Uh, it was a screenwriting thing, and they were like, the guy was like, "How many screenwriters are in the house?" And I think pretty much everyone put their hand up, and he was like, "How many of you've got a script that you could even a finished script?" that's an hour or an hour and a half that you could email me right now and the hands dropped <laughs> to about i think it was like about nine people out of a hundred and he was like yep that's about right you nine are writers he said <laughs> and it was just a real like you know yeah he's right like just get to the end get to the end yeah that's that's kind of the trick there um i i do have more questions that i meant to get to and then we we stumbled on the wrestling thing so let me see what i can do to fit these in the last four minutes or so okay let's do it all right so when you're doing a web series yeah okay do you edit the show for content or do you when you set it out do you know this episode is going to be six minutes long i mean how do you do it personally I I am the story guy, and then Sam Bradford is the is the editor guy, and and so he was the one. He'll he'll be the one that ultimately decides that. I I normally you know I write at the moment. I've got ten ten oh, six episodes, ten minutes, and ten minutes is means ten pages. Um, but it it will then depend. It'll go through Sam Bradford, the co-creator's directorial editorial mind, and he will elevate and and add things and swap things and cut things. And then that might make it 12 minutes. It might make it eight minutes. And obviously, if there's a fight sequence, it might be longer if you want to linger on a shot, all that kind of thing. So I'm kind of flexible. That's the beauty of a web series, isn't it? You, you know, you can – I try I aim to be consistent with length. But, um, you know, that's the beauty. It's like Netflix. Some of their episodes are 44 minutes. Some of them are 56 minutes. And then there might be one episode that's an hour and ten. That's the beauty of the, the modern, you know, internet, uh, you know, platforms. Well, yeah, there was a there was a guy I interviewed last year who had a web series called Breakfast the Series, and it was about a guy who bought a sex robot, but she was broken and only wanted breakfast. And brilliant, yeah, oh yeah, no, it was it was it was so funny that I was like, okay, I'm gonna stalk this guy until I get him on my show. But brilliant. but each episode of the show might be three four minutes longer, shorter, or whatever than the previous one because he he wrote a script and they recorded and edited based around how the show flowed not around oh i've got seven minutes whatever you know yeah yeah i like that i mean i'm a bit of a geek for structure and and uh plotting and and timing so i i i am i do like aiming for it but i'm i'll go with you know if i'm working with great people i'll go with what they think as well oh yeah well that's what you know like my goal with any podcast i like to be 45 minutes yeah there you go sometimes i it gets really you know, fertile conversation area. Okay. So it goes longer, you know, I'll try to yeah. get closer to 45 and, you know, we'll fix it in post as they say. Yeah. 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 But, you know, also because I sometimes do interviews of people I have no rapport or knowledge of, I just, they land on me. <laughs> it's or good they... to have the cutoff. Okay. Oh well, yeah. That's yeah. Well, <laughs> there's other times where I've, I've hit 32 minutes and been like, Oh God, I don't know what to do with the rest of this. I just, yeah, you know, yeah. I just, where's my kill button? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If where's I the dro- musical interlude? Yeah. If I drop a stapler on my foot, can I get out of this now? You know? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That hasn't happened off. I've been very lucky, though, you know. That's good. Yeah. Um, so then my other question for you would be, since, you know, you've done, I mean, you were in Justice League, you've done films, you've done television, traditional films and television, but you've also got The Few, which is created as a web series. Yeah. Where do you kind of feel the future of video entertainment is headed? I mean, do you have a sense or are you just kind of long for the ride? Where do you think it's going to go? That's a great question. I Part of me thinks, I'm one of those guys that thinks that it's totally going to change and yet it's totally going to be the same. Because I think no matter where, whether you call it YouTube or BBC or Netflix, or the DC Universe, whatever it is, whatever subscription, whatever network, whatever title, logo, whatever, whatever you're watching it on, they're all just stories. And I think ultimately stories will last in whatever form they are. And I think, you know, there's always going to be shows that are half hour or an hour, and there's always going to be movies that are an hour and a half, two hours, because I think that's it's that is the way that's the ideal way that we digest them mm-hmm. 
it, I think it's just there's something quite, um, you know, it's the three act thing. It's the hunter, you know, the hunter gatherer kill and bring back kind of story. I think it's intrinsic in, in humanity. I think that's why we get so much pleasure out of it. Um, and I think it's all going to, yeah, I mean, who knows? I don't know who's going to be on top, but, you know, it's just going to be Netflix, Apple, Amazon. They're probably just going to end up being like HBO, you know, was 20 years ago or, but in, in, in you know, on the internet. Because, um, I I mean, I watch Netflix on my t- on my big TV because it's just through a box anyway. So yeah. I think ultimately we all just, you know, we all just are watching it you know, regardless. So yeah, I'm kind of, I just think, yeah, what it's going to evolve, but it, it'll stay the same as well. Yeah. That's, I, I don't really have a sense of it. Um, the thing I think is cool is that it's democratized filmmaking and made yeah. it accessible to everybody. And the thing I think that's bad about it is that it's democratized filmmaking yeah, and made it accessible to everybody. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. And I, I fight the same battle in my head. I've got the one side of me going, Oh my God. And you know, I'm, I'm lucky because I, you know, 20 years ago, if I was in the acting game, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this. Um, but just the fact that, <laughs> yeah, but you are right. You do. It, it does get opened up to people where you're like, really? Really? <laughs> Should you have a camera? Um, but, you know, that's that you, you know, you get the good and you get the, the less good. So, you know, if you want to watch your your horror films recorded on, you know, VHS camcorder from 1989, then you're going to have to allow them to make it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, That is one thing I do want to say about The Few. Um, I have seen a lot of web series where they haven't thought much about the graininess or texture of what they're shooting with when they're shooting a scene. Yeah. And the, the look, style, and feel of your show, I feel definitely has a professional quality up there with anything you'd see on, you know, on a, on a cable channel or definitely a, at or above BBC levels. Um, is this something that you had conscious control of or just this is how it came out on its own? Um, I, I'll give credit to my co-creator, Sam Bradford, largely for that. He is the the technical filmmaker of the two of us. Mm-hmm. I'm more of the, the story guy. Um, but I knew because we we made the, the crime. We, he also directed the Crime Caper Double Cross that's on Amazon Prime. Um, so I knew, I knew... I mean, we really hit off anyway. We're like a we're like a work marriage, but um, as well as with um, Kyla Fry, who is one of the actresses, who's the the co-creator of Double Cross, and was also she plays Jamie Scott in the few, um, and we just gel. And I knew from Sam because Sam Bradford, he's a visionary director. He he goes visually, and he just knows what he's doing. He's got the equipment. He's got the team. Um, this company called Praxima, who Spent a lot of time doing a lot of high-end commercials for like car companies oh, sure. uh, and and things like that. So they they were kind of frustrated because they weren't able to do drama and fiction. But while they were doing all these great jobs in their in their earlier years, they were learning how to make things look really shit hot. So um, yeah, that's it's it's down to them really, and a combination of you know just that collaboration and. Yeah, I mean, it blows me away as well. Like, people think I'm being weird, like cocky when I'm like, yeah, I know, it's great. But it's, yeah, it blows me away when I watch it as well. And that's that's what's inspired me to, you know, get on with the second series, I guess, as well. Yeah, I, I thought it looked really well. Um, I, I I enjoyed it. You know, like I said, you know, there were definitely things in there that harken back to my childhood as well, just visually. The one question I had that was on your Rogue Detective. Yeah. Why makeup instead of a domino mask? Okay, so there's two answers to that. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, the first answer. The, 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 the professional answer is, um, well, it's always a domino mask, and you can whack the makeup on quicker. It's more practical, and it does the job, and this guy's a functional guy, and he's out there, and he's making it happen. Uh, the second uh, <laughs> reason would be, um, well, I guess, you know, I guess it's a good reason is it's – I just thought, um, and that, that was the kind of way that I, I approached the whole thing, is I'd rather do less and it look good and great than go more, but it look a bit ropey. So I just figured that a domino mask, you got to spend money on a domino mask to make it look really good. That's uh, true. So I didn't want to do it and then have this domino mask that really annoyed me because we didn't have hundreds or thousands of pounds to get 
it molded and made to look awesome because um, we just didn't have the budget so I just thought right for now and I, I made I try and make the the limitations a, a kind of character reason so hey he's just gonna black out his eyes with with a thumb and some makeup and then he's gonna get on with it um, and I think the first the first series of arrow actually showed me the way with that because in the first series of that um, Oliver Queen he just smudged like dark green paint on his eyes rather than a, an actual domino mask um, and I thought it looked really really I thought it really worked and was really fresh so that's how uh, but who knows maybe he'll get an upgrade for the second series yeah I, I knew it was going to be an arrow statement I knew that was going to be part of it I just it <laughs> felt it in my guts um, cool well let me see here Sam we are out of time but I want to keep you in my Rolodex because I have a feeling you and I could could handle a few more conversations and not run out oh, of stuff to talk right. about I think I think me me and you together in the ring it's that's it's money it's bums in seats. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Especially when I pull the old face heel turn and whack you in the head with a chair. Oh no! Oh, oh no. yeah. I, I drop one hell of a baby face promo after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've got some practice now because I've I've um, heel turned on my co-host on Bell the Bell with Bobby Blaze twice now. Oh really? Oh yeah. Last week it was a coconut to the head. Oh no! Well, that's yeah. devastating. Is that yeah. and and is your, is your does your character have some kind of grounding in in like coconuts or or kind of a a tendency to to eat things that are coconut flavored or well, is this a, we is uh, just, we did our top ten Roddy Piper uh, favorite moments. And I don't know if you had ever seen it, but there was one where Roddy Piper uh, interviewed Jimmy Snuka. And he, and, he, and he kept throwing bananas and crap at him, and then eventually he got coconuts out and started hitting him in the head with the coconuts. Oh, so, my God. So during the episode where we're talking about Roddy Piper, obviously one of our moments was the Jimmy Snuka coconut to the head, right? Was that around which – because I've seen the one where he, he painted himself half black. Oh, we don't we don't talk about that in this country. We have a nasty connotations with blackface here. Well, no, no, so do we. That's that's why it was. I'm not saying it was a good moment. I'm just saying, I, I remember seeing it and thinking, "Oh my god!" Yeah, what? there are there are things in pro wrestling do not age well. I was watching, um, and I, I'm actually going to go into this topic in depth at some point on my other show. But I was watching an old uh, Kevin Von Erich or you know Fritz Von Erich WCCW match somewhere, right? Yeah. And I never thought about it when I was younger. But homophobia was used by villains to get over all the time. They all had bleached oh, hair. They all hugged their time. tag team partners. And I'm watching this match, and all of a sudden the whole crowd starts, okay, forgive my language, I may cut this, starts chanting faggot as loud as the whole crowd, the whole crowd. Yeah, and I'm yeah. just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Can I get to the mute button quick enough to shut this off? Because I don't want anybody hearing <laughs> this coming out of my yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the... There's, um, there's a guy, um, I forget his name now, because you go back and there was a really good documentary about the old British wrestling in the in the 60s and 70s, and a lot of the characters there are actually uh, like the basis for many of the modern WWF, WWE wrestlers. And there was one guy, I think his name was Adrian. It might have been Adrian Adonis. Well, I bet it was Adrian Street, because that's where Adrian Adonis got his... Uh... That's it. That's yeah. it. Adrian Street. And he, he was... He was like the original Gold Dust. Yeah. Yes. Come out. I, I believe he was from London too. Yeah. yeah. Um I don't know what yeah, but he he was the what from my eyes he was just he'd just get the crowd nuclear by just, you know, blowing them kisses and you know, doing all this stuff. Um yeah, I mean, but then again in every in every industry and everything there's there's things that we want to forget. Um you know, not to take away from, you know, talented performers who know how to get heat because they were just reacting to the, you know, to the crowd. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there's, you know, like Ric Flair stole his gimmick from Buddy Rogers. Yeah. See, I don't, that's where I, I literally, I hear Buddy Rogers all the time, but he, I, I've never really watched any of his stuff. Well, there's should... not, there's not going to be anything out there because he was really from the fifties and sixties. Okay. And, and none of that, very little of that footage made. I mean, very little from the seventies has made it honestly as well. Yeah, you know, I like going back trying to find old matches where Dusty Rhodes was still a villain, and you're gonna find stuff without audio because it was just filmed. There was no audio to go with it. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, yeah. I know they got a lot of the old stuff on the WWE Network now. Um, yeah, they do. 
Yeah, so, um, but yeah, they've got some good stuff I want to check out on there. Yeah. yeah. There's so much good stuff to catch the older ones. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's do this. Let's go ahead and wrap this show up, but I definitely want yep. to keep you... I want to stay in touch, is what I'm saying. And yeah, will, yeah, me too, me yeah, too. We will figure out some more stuff to talk about in a future date and whatever. But um, all right, Sam, one more time, give us your Twitter and everything. It's at Sam Benjamin now, uh, N O W at the end. That's on Instagram and Twitter, and YouTube.com/slash The Few uh, to watch the Few series now and catch up and uh, be ready for the second one. Awesome. All right, everybody, thank you for uh, catching Geekish Cast with writer, director, producer Sam Benjamin. Uh, thank you for staying up late, Sam. I know it's... Uh... And, and actor. Number oh, one. did I forget actor? <laughs> well. Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, the, all the other ones are, are the ones that I've, I've fallen into, but yeah, act, always actor number one. Yeah, I, I don't know how I forgot that. Jeez, um, imagine my chagrin. Writer, there, producer, there. director, and actor, and screenwriter. Wow, stop it. And and, and, and want to be pro wrestler. And and yeah, and want to be pro wrestler. Sam Benjamin. Sam, thank you for doing this. Uh, everybody, for Sam and myself, we'll catch you some other time. 